The gospel lesson is taken from John's gospel, chapter 1, verses 10 through 18. This is God's word. He was in the world, and through the world, though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and lived for a while among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. John testifies concerning him. He cries out saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. From the fullness of his grace we have all received one blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses, Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the only Son, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. Let me mention one tidbit that you may not have known, but the anthem that was sung today was uh, an original composition for our sesquicentennial. And it's based on Jeremiah 24-7. And uh, Lori Steinberger's mother-in-law actually composed that uh, for us at that time. So you heard it again. Uh, I think that maybe is the uh, only time we've sung it since then, but it's beautiful. Um, I, um, I do want to wanna mention one thing. It has to do with... Uh, my circumstances. I, I have a, a, a lousy back. I've had one for five and a half months. I am uh, taking care of it. Uh, but I may not be able to make all the schedule, uh, things that I've scheduled this week. We'll just see uh, how it goes. But it's kind of day to day. I, I did call up my, my physician and told him that I was uh, struggling again. And, but he was not there. I got his secretary and uh, she couldn't uh, do the prescription, but nonetheless, uh, she asked me what was the trouble. I said, well, I'm, I can't do my work. <laughs> and uh, I said, I'm all backed up. And I didn't mean a, 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 a pun on that, but uh, I'll be up and down. I almost didn't think I would make it today, I, I, but I've, I've limbered up a good bit. So uh, I would appreciate your prayers. I do want to uh, be able to keep my schedule uh, this week and next, but I am working on everything, and I, I listen to your advice. I've tried some of them, and it made me worse. <laughs> the 12 days of Christmas ends today, or if you count another way by including the 25th, then it was concluded on yesterday. Now, I believe it is right that we spend some time on the Incarnation because the fact of it is absolutely stunning for all of life. The fact of it is an amazing thing. And uh, it is right then that we dwell on it. This is an event, the Incarnation, that has changed the world 
and given hope to multitudes around this globe who have no hope. And that hope carries on from generation to generation. John's gospel has a different approach to the incarnation than do the other gospels, uh, the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And let me reprise just a moment what I mean by this. If you look at Matthew's gospel, he begins with the birth of Jesus, essentially, after a genealogy. And the same thing with Luke. Mark is a little bit different, but nonetheless, he starts out with the gospel and then gets to Jesus' public ministry, which he entered upon at his baptism. What is a curious thing is that in all four gospels, John the Baptist is introduced. And I've always contended that we should pay more attention to the role that John the Baptist has in the New Testament due to the fact that he is given so much space. Nonetheless, that one who baptized Jesus was not the Messiah, and he pointed to Christ as the Messiah. And so, uh, I want again to talk about how John's gospel presents the incarnation. He takes not the beginning of Jesus' earthly history, but he sets the incarnation in the context, if you will, of eternity. He sets the birth of Jesus Christ prior to anything that was created. You might say John starts with the eternality of Jesus and then presents the incarnation. In this sermon, then, I want you to see this. Because of God's great love for us, of course, the eternal Son took upon himself finite human flesh and existence. He dwelt among us that we might receive him through faith. Now, I realize that my thesis may seem worn out because I have preached several sermons on the Incarnation. I have been preaching at Christmas and so forth on the Incarnation of Christ. But I believe that if you take it to be old hat or trite or tired, the theme, you would be sadly wrong. First of all, the Incarnation, and, and this is an important point, it's a theological point, but you can see the way John begins that he understands the incarnation to be the center of history. The most important aspect of history, the event of Jesus Christ in human flesh for the biblical writers and for Christians, knowingly or unknowingly, they have seen this event as the most important event in the history of the world. The incarnation comes maybe not chronologically in the center, but it comes, if you will, theologically in the center of history. Now, it is through this fact that we can understand our origins, and it is through the center, if you will, that we can understand our end. We know that the coming of Jesus Christ gives us light at the beginning, that God created the world. Things are just not simply eternally perpetuating itself without a maker. We also know that there is an end to history. We know this because we pay attention to what happened at the incarnation. And this same one who came the first time will come again at the end. Now, Jesus then uh, is the center of all things. 
And it is true that Christians, by understanding this event, has light shed on all of human existence. John presents Christ as the coming of Christ through whom the worlds were created. Look at the beginning here. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So in, in a real sense, Jesus is understood at the beginning because we know that he came in the center of history. And notice what, the way the gospel writer presents him, John, that it is through him that all things were created. So we are dealing with one who is eternal and divine in his being. When you read John chapter 1, verse 1, it tells us two things about Jesus that he is eternal, and that he is divine. No biblical writer let that escape then. He is eternal, and he is divine, though it was John who took the opportunity to set the incarnation with that backdrop. Now, what he is saying here is that Christ, indeed, is the true light that has come in the world, and that is significant. If you think it is not significant, it is no accident, in my opinion, that we date the worlds A.D. and B.C. And almost the entire globe, no matter how much they try to get away from that A.D. B.C. understanding, notice that uh, it comes back to the fact that Christ is the center of history. We had a, a student uh, in um, our midst here who attended from time to time who got into some trouble in his academic work because he used... A.D. and B.C. And uh, his thesis was rejected because of that, because the, the professor who oversaw the thesis thought that he was out of line and that he was being parochial and that he was being stubborn by using that. He should have used C.E. and B.C.E. But notice, that doesn't really take away from A.D. and B.C., does it? It's still the same way, the same thing. So Christians have understood that what happened in the center of history is most important. Christ, then, is the true light that gives light to everyone. He who creates light has become light in the center of history. This light, the scripture says, shines in the darkness, but the doctor, darkness does not comprehend it or overcome it. Now let me talk about that word, comprehend or overcome. It is, can be translated both ways, that the light shines in the darkness, but the darkness does not comprehend it or overcome it. It can be translated either way. But it means simply this, that that light which has shined in the center of history will never be extinguished. One of the great things about being a Christian is that we know that the present problems in the world will not have the last say about life and about its meaning and about what is going on. It is a great comfort to me, and I hope it is to you, to begin a new year to know that no event that takes place in the year 2013 will be able, will be able to overcome that light. No nation that persecutes Christians and tries to drive them out of their country will not have the final word. No problem that you face in the year 2013, we'll have the last word. Remember that Christ is the light, and he will not be overcome. This light shines in the darkness then, and God's light will never, never be extinguished. 
Let me also say something else about the incarnation here. The incarnation, when we think about it, and John sets this forth, means that the uncreated has come to share creation. Now notice his progression. I did not read the first nine verses, but it's part of the text. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and He was with God in the beginning. Though all things, he says, were made, without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. Now the point is a very simple point is, that who is eternal, even our Lord Jesus Christ, has taken upon himself created things, if you will, a body, a flesh. Christ is both eternal and divine, but he has taken upon himself human flesh. It is through Christ then, we see in verse 14, has become flesh. Notice how the apostle puts it. The word became flesh and lived for a while among us. The word here means to to live while among us means to tabernacle with us. He has lived in our space, our time, our history. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, I, I want to say something about God as uncreated and created things. Uh, in thinking about this sermon, I, I had to come to grips in some ways about modern people who do not any longer uh, are persuadable about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it seems like that there is a growing segment in our society, a growing segment according to the Pew Foundation and the Gallup polling, that is becoming increasingly atheistic or agnostic. And you might say, well, that is counter evidence that, yes, Christ does not light everyone's pathway that comes into the world. Let me just follow this up with this. There are those, of course, and philosophers do it, and scientists do it sometimes, but mainly philosophers, try to discover God from our side based on our resources. Now, notice, notice, we try to find God through, we are created human beings. We try to find God through created things. Uh, I remember, and I'm old enough to remember, and some of you may very well be true, that when the Russian cosmonaut, Yuri Gagarin, first went up into uh, the outer atmosphere, or maybe space, he got up there and tweaking uh, people in America and, and other places around the world, he said this, I'm in heaven and I see no God. He is not there. Now, he was, he was no doubt just joking in one sense, but in one sense he was, he was being true to himself and to the system. He was an atheist. Let me, let me be clear. No one will be able to discover God on their own. You can never come to the conclusion that God is there or use human proofs to prove God. And... Uh, you will often have a Sunday school teacher or a theologian try to demonstrate a proofs for God. Well, now, those are valuable as testimonies, but those testimonies are really for the choir. If you already believe in God, those things are very persuasive. 
But to the unregenerate mind who tries to discover God simply through created things, it will always come back to the fact that he cannot or she cannot believe in God because of human suffering. Why would a good God, an all-powerful God, allow human suffering? That will always be the block. That will always be the defeater for any kind of argument that you can make. Now, there are two reasons for this. First of all, the human being is finite. And the finite cannot prove the infinite. Secondly, human beings can only have knowledge of those things that exist. If Jesus Christ and God the Father and God the Holy Spirit live outside of, if you will, space and time and history, it is no possible, it is not possible to get from historical reality, space and time to that realm. Now, you say, why do you bring this up? It seems rather academic because of my next point. Since you cannot discover God, the incarnation means that God has come to you so that you might know him. I want you to look at how John does this. When he talks about the reality of him who has come in human flesh, he says this. He says that he has come in human flesh, and then he points out this. Yet, to all who receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or of a husband's will, but born of God. It is not that you can discover and know God on your own or through your own efforts. Again, you can only have knowledge of those things that are like you, that are created. But the incarnation means that we can know God in his eternality through his son, Jesus Christ. And he has come into our world, taken him upon himself our flesh, our time, our history, our space. And he has dwelt among us. In a real sense, you cannot go to God, but he comes to you and confronts you. This is what the incarnation means. Light has dawned on the world, and God confronts the world through his son, Jesus Christ. And it is only, it is only through Christ that you can have true knowledge of who God is. Now, it might be logically, and it is, to prove that there has to be some first cause of things. But that first cause does not tell you what God is like, whether he is for you or against you. You can only know that God is for you in the person of Jesus Christ. Whenever I teach, and I've been teaching on the parables on Sunday evening, I teach about the parables, you see Jesus who goes forth and gets the one lamb and throws it over his shoulder, I can imagine, and brings it home. Then you know that God cares for you. You know that God cares for you when he says in Christ, cast your care upon me for I care for you. You know that Jesus has compassion upon you when he heals the sick and, and he has mercy upon those who are weak and struggling. Jesus, indeed, is the will of God in human flesh, and you can know that God loves you and seeks you out. Let me talk just a moment about receiving Christ. Christ must be received by faith, even though he confronts us 
in our history, in our place, our time, and in our life, you must receive him through faith. The Apostle John here is quite clear that if you are to know God, you must receive him. St. Augustine, I've been a reading due to a little exercise I'm involved in. I've been reading St. Augustine recently. And St. Augustine, along with St. Anselm, both had a saying that is very important. And both of them came to the conclusion, though there was a little difference in their Latin that they expressed it, it is that you must believe in order to understand. Augustine said, I believe in order that I might understand. Receiving Christ really does open up your understanding of all things. Receiving the Lord Jesus Christ by faith opened up vistas that you cannot imagine. It does help you to have confidence that God created the worlds. It does help you to have confidence that things will end in his control at the end of history. It does give you stability in your life and your place. You see, John knew that though this is a high theological understanding in a real sense, and indeed something that we cannot fully understand, it is a mystery, he knew that it would have practical application in your life. That if you receive the Lord Jesus Christ, indeed he has received you into his beloved and received Christ by faith. This... Uh, this first half of the year in Westminster Church, we are focusing on evangelism. We're trying to organize some evangelistic outreach through Bible studies, but we are also having a forum later on in the year uh, in April where we will have a couple of people to come and to, uh, if you will, school us in the art of evangelism. We must never forget that Christ must be received. If we are to know God and to experience his love, we must receive him, but we also have an obligation to present that Christ to others. And so we will focus, if you will, on the knowledge of God, for he has confronted us in his son, Jesus Christ, in this life and in this place. Let me close with this. Let me do just, if you will, a, um, a thought experiment. Uh, and a thought experiment, of course, is, is, is done a lot uh, in classes, I guess, and so forth. But I want you to imagine with me for just a moment that God decided to create a world and that no creature in that world would be able to do mathematics. That no creature in that world would be able to put together a sentence. That no creature in that world would could possibly think of anything but themselves and their immediate surroundings. Now, we know that God has created a world like that. As far as I know, a horse cannot count, except for trigger. But a horse cannot count. Therefore, it doesn't, it's not possible for a horse to make sense of things. They don't think big thoughts. They're big animals. Their brains may be bigger than ours, but they don't think big thoughts. They don't ask themselves the question, does God exist? Take my dog, I used to have. I, I have no doubt that they didn't think the way I do. Everything was immediate with them. It was, it was instinct. 
They had no ability to put together language or to do numbers or to think big thoughts. What if God created a world entirely that way? And there would not be one sentient creature that would be able to think God's thoughts after him. But he didn't do that, did he? He created you and me in a special way. You are in the image of God. You can have knowledge of the world and created things through mathematics and language and discovery. You can examine objects and reflect upon them. You can stand outside of yourself and you can think about what you've done in the past and what you might do in the future and plan your life. You are unique in that way. But there is another way that you are unique. You can indeed think God's thoughts after him. And he has sent his son into this world to seek and to save the lost. And my friends, when we think of the incarnation... It is the most amazing thing that God would come to us in His Son, Jesus Christ, that we might know and receive Him as our Lord and Savior. This makes all the difference. This is the fruit of the incarnation, that we might know Him who loves us supremely and has demonstrated that in His Son, Jesus Christ, for indeed, God sent his son into the world, not to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Friends in Christ, fresh and new, receive him and determine to follow him in your life this coming year. Amen.